Welcome to Let Go, Lean In, a transformational leadership podcast for women. In this podcast, you will have an opportunity to grow an awareness of an area in your work, life, or faith that you want to change. Gain a tool that can help you in that area of growth and receive encouragement for you to learn to let go of the self-limiting beliefs that hold you back and lean in toward Jesus who has given you the abilities and the talents and the passions to live this one life wholeheartedly. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Well, welcome again to another episode of Let Go Lean In podcast. Today, we are going to get to meet Jonathan McLaren and a little bit about what he does and who he is and what he's about. Our second male guest on this podcast. Welcome, John. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. I feel incredibly privileged to, to join the ranks of, of male guests on the podcast. <laughs> it's it's not that men don't have wisdom for women leaders. It's that we are used to listening to male voices. And so yeah. I've been trying to bring the balance up a little bit. But there are just times when it's important for all of us to hear from everybody's voices regardless of gender so thanks again for for being here i'm excited to get to introduce the listeners to who you are so i'm going to start by reading your bio so give me a second here this is this is a lovely brief and yet intriguing bio which i love coach john is a weight loss coach and emotional eating expert who has lost 100 pounds from nanotechnology researcher to navy marine engineer to globetrotting nomad, Coach John spent most of his life running from his true calling until one question changed his life. Now he's on a mission to help others lose weight for good and leave BS diets in the rearview mirror. With Freedom Nutrition Coaching, he marries the science of metabolism with the psychology of behavior change and the compassion of human connection to create life-changing transformations with his clients. John, I have to ask, what <laughs> was the one question that changed your life? I'm, this is exciting right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we could set it up a little bit. And so we go back about four years into my own journey and struggle with weight. And we'll probably get into a little bit of the backstory, but I had been struggling with my weight for probably six six or seven years at this point, I'd tried coaches, really wasn't having success. Um, you know, I hired one more coach and, you know, he's a natural bodybuilder. So I kind of hired him because I, I thought if I looked like him, I'd, I'd be able to find that, that piece of happiness I was, I was trying mm -hmm. to find. Mm -hmm. I still had a really disordered relationship with myself um, and with my body and by extension mm -hmm. with food. And I, I, truthfully, I didn't really know what I needed in terms of help, I just knew I needed help. And I think that's mm -hmm. what made it really difficult. Um, so I, cause I don't want to put all the, the blame on, on the co previous coaches I'd hired, but there really was a mismatch because I couldn't, I couldn't, um, uh, basically communicate my need and, and they really mm -hmm. didn't have the skills to match. So th this coach, uh, he worked with me, um, in a very different way than I anticipated, uh, especially coming from a male coach. And that was with compassion and with empathy. Mm -hmm. And he was able to shine a light on, on really what the glaring problem was and something I'd never really considered before because we don't commonly 
communicate this or speak about this in the masculine sphere. And that was really my relationship to myself and my body. Mm -hmm. So he asked me this question. He said, Jonathan, if you make a list of all the things you love and value, how far down that list do I have to go before I see your name? Mm. And so that, that question really jarred me. Um, because he was shining a light on the fact that not only was I, it wasn't that I was like near the bottom of the list, it was I wasn't on the list. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really highlighted this tremendous gap in in myself that here I was trying to do all of these things kind of almost disconnected from myself. Mm-hmm. I was trying to, it was almost like I was, I was disconnecting from my body and trying to force my body to change so that I could finally feel comfortable being in my body again, if I could put it that way. Yeah. And here he was saying, this has to change. And he did it with a really well-timed, well-placed question. And thus began the journey of me trying to learn where do I even start when I'm trying to learn what self-compassion is and, and self-love. Boy, that is so powerful. And you're right. There's we. I dropped that question right in where I typically like take us back and bring us forward. And, and so this disconnect that this wise coach posed to you came at a point after a lot of other life experiences and <laughs> yeah. and i think it really ties into this this serious question that i've been posing and and asking all of the guests is what it what does it look like to lead yourself well but first we have to know ourselves and yeah. you know there are some some other steps but in learning what it means to lead, there's always an origin story of some <laughs> yeah. at some point. And I would just, even though most of the, the people that I've interviewed are women, it's still fascinating to me as I've had conversations, you know, out in the world, as well as, as through uh, Zoom and stuff, how many people have origin stories very early in their life about a leadership example. So I'm just curious if you have an early awareness of yourself in a leadership role. Yeah, actually it would have been when I was about three and a half years old, which is probably like very earliest like stages where we really form memories that we're gonna be able to recall. Mm -hmm. And you know, my brother, he uh, he was able to start school early because he was he was born in in um, November and so he actually started school at four, and I was I'm just a, a year younger than him so we're actually quite close together not not intentionally this was you know there's quite a story behind that too but so I went to his kindergarten class as a as a three year old and immediately I started participating in the class and uh, it's very interesting because I remember being told like shh it's not your turn it's not your turn. But naturally, I wanted to participate. I, I think I was already pretty switched on as, as a young kid. Um, I was, you know, because I had an older brother. And so I just naturally inserted myself into the conversation. I started showing up. But very interestingly, I suspect that sort of experiences like that. So, I, I, you know, if I might say, like, I, I'm pretty gifted and I can't take the credit. Of course, I say I got my brain free of charge. So um, I really can't take the credit. But I have a really like a pretty marvelous brain that I'm uh, I feel really blessed to have. My parents recognized that fairly early as well. My brother, uh, you know, he, he is in his own right gifted. He's, he's intelligent. He's got a master's degree. He's doing a second master's degree. He's been, uh, you know, uh, head of an education department in an international school overseas and so on. 
but but growing up he was very shy and and really struggled and here i was this sort of gregarious um you know rambunctious kid who i asserted myself into every situation and so there was this natural instinct or impulse to sort of pull me back and go just don't outshine your brother you know Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. and i kind of developed this behavior pattern of hiding in the shadows and elevating other people because then i then i thought well maybe if i could elevate my brother then i'd be able to sort of you know uh, uh, do, do some things that I want to do as well. And so that became this pattern in my life where I would elevate other people ahead of myself, which isn't always a bad thing, but it meant that I really right. hid in the shadows and sort of mm-hmm. hid some of the gifts that I have. So recognizing that you have a lot to offer very early on and yet discerning that it's probably better to, to hang back and it became the narrative. It did. At, what was the shift for you to start to put John on the list? Well, that took many years. Uh, uh, there, okay. So there were times, obviously, where I did step into leadership roles. Um, as a teenager, I captained uh, multiple sports teams. Um, you know, I captained a, a, a debate team and so on. So there were opportunities to sort of step into that role. But because I have like a really quick thinking analytical brain, like I scored I, academically, I did very well because you know, I, I think thankfully the medical or sorry, the, the academic system has evolved significantly, but my brain is really well suited to the traditional sort of educational model because I can retain facts and information. I can uh-huh. spit them back and so on. So I got very high grades um, and I was really quick thinking. Problem with that is other kids don't like that. Uh, <laughs> be, and, and yet again, so I found myself in the same dilemma. I had this brain that ran in high gear that, you know, um, seemed to be able to spit out answers really, really quickly, but I had to pull that back to give other people an opportunity. And so that, that sort of theme kept recurring. And it really wasn't until I worked with this coach and I would have been 35. It's crazy okay. to think that. I would have been 35. Yeah. Uh, where I really started to, where he really helped me to step into, uh, could I say my authority, um, mm, in a sense, yeah. Yeah. my confidence that I'm allowed to have these mm-hmm. gifts. I'm actually mm-hmm. allowed to shine. I'm allowed to share these gifts with the world. I don't have to keep them hidden. And my... F- you know, because it's not like I'm using my gifts to elevate myself above others. I don't want to say that I, I'm any better than any other person that I ever meet, but I have these abilities and, and I should put them to use. So mm-hmm. having the ability to say like, um, truthfully, I can, I can say without a trace of ego that I believe I'm a world-class coach, but it took me a long time to get to the place to be able to say that and, and be, be comfortable saying mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. because of this, the struggle with hiding in the shadows. Yeah. And that, in that mindset of, hanging back of hiding in the shadows you wisely said it took years to put yourself on the list and shifting a mindset is not like turning on a light switch and so (laughs) there you know you and i are both coaches different niches yet the process of coaching is very similar and i would imagine that in coaching yourself which is, you know, living the coach approach is something that we learned in, mm-hmm. in my coach training. Said, so, you know, you are giving yourself consistent uh, feedback and and you know, moving moving the needle forward. All the different phrases and things. What would you pinpoint as a regular tool that you have applied for yourself in in making that shift and putting yourself on the list and being able to see yourself rightly as I am a world-class coach 
I have a lot to offer. This is who I am. I think it began with brushing my teeth. And that sounds ridiculously <laughs> simple, doesn't it? You think, well, how, what on earth does this have to do with recognizing that I maybe have world-class coaching talent? But brushing your teeth is an act of self-care. Yeah. It's actually an investment in your future health and well-being. And so it was, it was something that I would frequently skip, you know, I'll oh, go to the dentist, okay. get my cleaning or whatever. They'll, they'll give my teeth the super scrub and I'll be good for a while. Yeah. You know, I'd brush my teeth if I didn't like the aftertaste in my mouth. But so, cause I think, oh, how do we change a belief? And it's like, we take mm. an action that's contrary to the belief we currently hold, but it needs to be small enough that it doesn't really trigger this emotional brick wall, this self-sabotaging defensive response. Cause our primal brain wants to keep us stuck in the sense of identity we hold. And so it kind of slipped it under the radar and that became now I added, you know, say drink 500 mils of water um, every morning as well. So now I start my day hydrating. So I have a water bottle beside my bed. So brush my teeth and drink my water. And then we, we added to that, okay, now, I, you know, I, I find time to hop on my recumbent bike and go for a ride in the mornings. You know, now we've added to that. I spent, you know, I have family snuggle time with my, my wife and my son in the morning and so on. So one tiny little thing, one mm -hmm. act of self-care or investment in myself, that pattern began to, we could build on that. And so you start small and, and, and establish that. And once it's established, you can build on it and build on it. And uh, some really great things happen. I love that. And, and it really is, is wisdom because you know that you're where you are right now and you envision off in the distance this, this goal. And yet you can't span that in one step. So starting small and incrementally making yeah. change consistent over time then gives you the opportunity to add on until you've made the changes that you've desired rather than saying, I'm never going to do X again. And I mean, it yeah. works for some people, but most of us need to not have that brick wall come up and say mm -mm, you're not changing yeah <laughs> our, our old brain protecting us like you said yeah well it, it's it can be really challenging in one sense because we look at the magnitude of the problem that's facing us and it's kind of natural to think that the solution has to be equal in magnitude mm. and that makes us feel overwhelmed so it's like imagine so somebody comes to me and says like i need to lose 50 pounds well, if every day the thought in your head is, I have to lose 50 pounds, you're going to feel overwhelmed by the magnitude of that. But you know that, that famous question, I love to ask my clients this, they always know the answer, they always know why I'm asking, how do you eat an elephant? And it's one bite at a time. Right. right. So whenever they're struggling, like trying to swallow the elephant whole is like the epitome of overwhelm. It's an impossible task. But I like to say to people, overwhelm is, is a feeling, but mm -hmm. it's not a circumstance. It's yeah. you trying to solve all your problems all at once in your head. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great, you know, bringing it down to the the ground level because we do think our way into and out of problems, but action is what makes the change 
to yeah. that circumstance, right? It's not, it's not the feeling. It's taking action steps. So you mentioned that it started with brushing your teeth as it far did, yeah. as, you know, a, <clears throat> a change in your, your habits. Do you have a tool that you use or that you recommend to your clients to like track habits or? Yeah, absolutely. What do you, what do you recommend? Uh, well, I have an Android phone, so I use an app called Loop. Um, there, I'm sure there's some good ones um, for iPhone as well. So I have probably now about 20 or 25 habits that I tick off over the course of a day. Wow. Now, that sounds like a lot. It does. But you, <laughs> I, I would not say, do not start with that. Okay. So what's really important is when we're trying to establish a new pattern of behavior, the magnitude of the behavior is less important than the repeatability of the behavior. So when we want a pattern a habitual behavior, I encourage my clients to set what I call CMGs, can't miss goals. Nice. So what we're doing here, so for example, for me, uh, I set a movement goal of 5,000 steps a day. Now, many people look at that and go, well, that's not 10,000. Like, and I say, absolutely. Because even on my worst day, I'm tired or whatever, I'm probably going to get 5,000 steps in. I, the, the only thing I need to do is about 10 minutes of deliberate activity to get 5,000 steps in. Now, my average lately is around 11,700 steps a day. But my CMG still remains 5,000. Why? Because I'm building a streak. So even on that day that let's just say I'm, I'm tired and I just, I can't hit my, you know, I like hitting 10,000 steps. My brain likes ticking boxes. But let's just say like one day I just can't, but I can get that 5,000 in. Well, now, I've, you know, you have a streak of uh, 240 something days and it's, it's called like, don't break the chain. And the longer you go, the less you want to break the chain. So the repeatability of the behavior is what matters versus the magnitude. Because I started at 5,000 steps a day, and now I'm averaging 11,700. But when you started, even 5,000 probably sounded like a something challenge. you had to work toward. Yeah, because I do have a bit of a propensity to be a, a workaholic. <laughs> um, and it's funny, even with all of the personal growth and changes that have occurred in my life, there's still some tendencies that exist within me that I have to be mindful of. And I might always battle for, for most of my life, whether that's my mm -hmm. relationship with food, I do have to be thoughtful about that. Um, whether that's my relationship with work, I have to be thoughtful about that. Mm -hmm. Because and I think it's important to share that because sometimes people might hear this and think, you know, that I've got it all figured out or that I don't have struggles. And it's like, well, it's more that I navigate them differently now. I know what I need to do to manage them. And I think it's really important that it doesn't diminish me as a human being or as a coach. The fact that, in fact, I think it actually enhances my experience as a coach mm -hmm. um, because I, I live these struggles. Yeah. I think that's really powerful, John, because when we are able to deal and be honest with the things that we struggle with in our profession as coaches, then we can more authentically come alongside a client, not from I've got it all figured out perspective, but from the place of, I know what this is like. Yeah. And <clears throat> if you put your, if you put your foot here in this place, you'll be able to, to span that gap, but you have to start with these can't miss goals, your CMGs. I love that. That's, that's a great mindset to be able to, you know, set, set the bar, not so low that it feels like, well, why am I even bothering? But to the point of not breaking the chain where it's a repeatable mm -hmm. behavior and it just becomes one more habit that you already have put in place 
shifting your life away from the things that have been the most insurmountable in the past and now you're making yeah. progress well i think james clear wrote in his book atomic habits that habits are the compound interest of self-improvement yeah and uh, so I, I i draw on that a lot and i mean it isn't no wonder that, that this book was really you know became famous I and mean, he's also a great marketer and he's a great communicator right. um but it really is something valuable because he he took something that was not very glamorous forming habits something that most people would shy away from because we got uh, maybe drawn in by the go big or go home mentality, mm -hmm. or I call it the buying a lottery ticket mentality. Yeah, that's a good one. Because that's really what it is. Yeah. You know, we got drawn in by the the allure of sort of the, the hare versus tortoise. I want to be the one that sprints. Mm -hmm. And it comes from this place of, I think, feeling like the journey is going to be a struggle and it's going to be painful. And I want to skip the journey and just get to the destination yeah. because we're, we're, we're placing our happiness in the future Mm -hmm. instead of in the present moment but no matter if our habit in this instance is to place our happiness in the future no matter where we get to it's always going to be ahead of us that's right that's so good and and there's nothing wrong with looking to the future however oh, it has to be held in the tension of this is where i am currently and find yeah. in the midst of the messy middle i can't remember if it was if I heard that first from Brene Brown or another author, but the idea of being in process and being in the messy middle is, is okay because you're still moving toward your goal and you're not yet in that future orientation, but being able to find joy and peace and, you know, the kinds of things that will keep you going. Yeah. Is I think really important. It, it, it's really satisfying because here's the thing uh, accomplishing a goal feels great but the moment the goal is accomplished we're going to look for the next one yeah. there's a ton of satisfaction being in the journey and knowing that you're making progress towards that goal that's the that's what's actually this is why i love the journey you know i was telling you before we started recording about how i'm trying to get to four miles in in uh 10 minutes so being right. able to maintain a pace of 24 miles per hour on my bike for 10 minutes and i'm not there yet but I've really enjoyed the journey. Like I love seeing the progress. So if, if you're already there, it's like, there's no, where's your purpose? Now what? Mm -hmm. So I love that I get to wake up with purpose. And once I hit my four miles in, in, in 10 minutes, it's pro the goal is probably going to shift. I'll be like, sweet. I'm, you know, I love the fact that I accomplished that, but now I'm going to, I'm going to build another goal. Right. We're wired for growth. Our soul like wants to grow and develop. We don't want to remain stagnant. <laughs> So there's no need to place our happiness into a future that may or may not even come to fruition when we can choose to be present. And maybe I'll just throw this phrase out here that I, I say to my clients a lot, progress, not perfection. Mm, yeah, no, that's good. And, and I think that there's collectively a, a shift that's happening in the way that people are approaching growth and development and recognizing that it isn't a light switch where you suddenly have made that change and now you're doing this new thing and now you can work on something else, even though to your point, when you do accomplish a goal, there's another one that can be established, but that the idea of incremental change over time that's consistent is what is going to make the lasting change happen. And we can be yeah. 
learning to be okay with that. You were talking about, um, you know, the, the idea of change and growth. It reminded me of a, a quote from Christine Kane, who is an Australian. And she said, living things grow and growing things change. And and so, you know, in, in my mind, that, that begets, well, then if I'm not growing and changing, am I really living? Yeah, I love that. And, and so to me, <clears throat> we are going to be taking on new challenges and, and paying attention to an area that maybe has been a problem for us our entire life, but it doesn't mean it has to be that way for the rest of our life because yeah. this is a journey, right? Well, and, and maybe we could sort of turn the spotlight onto you for a moment and say, you know, um, 30 or 40 years ago, did you see yourself in this position, like coaching women in leadership? Yeah, no, no, I didn't. In fact, when I came to the recognition that, in fact, I am a leader, I was just shy of 50. Okay. So that, you know, you were talking about, I was 35 when I, this yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and some of us are slower to recognize things about ourselves, but it, it's something that really has transformed my life is recognizing that none of us are too old to yeah. make changes, no matter yeah. what the topic is. And, yeah. and so as long as we're here, we have work to do. And so what is that thing for each person, right? It doesn't have to be the same thing. Doesn't have to be weight loss. Doesn't have to be leadership. It might be some kind of creative arts that you're bringing into the world that you never thought you could. The point is, if you are listening to this podcast, you are a person who's curious and you want to know how something can happen in your life. Yeah. And so, John, I, I love to ask every guest their idea of what it means to thrive, because as the listeners have commented over time, we want to know how it works in other people's lives to kind of normalize it for ourselves. And yeah. the world is going to give us a definition of what it means to thrive, right? That's not, we don't need the world's definition. We want to hear from real people, real life examples. What, it, what is it for you to thrive in your life? For me, it's one, being clear on my values. Mm. So values are, are, one, are a wonderful benchmark because they don't shift. So I, you know, I believe it was Stephen Covey, I think if I'm crediting him right, who, came, who, who quoted um, value-centered living, something mm. along those lines. Yeah. And I love that idea because if we try to center ourselves on the opinions of other people, it's a shifting target that is never stationary. That's so good. Yeah. But we can anchor ourselves to our values. So my top two values are compassion and integrity. And when I'm living, and it's not that I nail those perfectly, but those are my anchor points. That's what I go back to when I want to see like, how am I doing? Am I living in alignment with those values? Mm -hmm. And so when I am, like that's when I'm really truly thriving. And obviously it can look on the surface like so many different things, but internally I feel like I'm at peace nice. when I'm living according to those values. And I think that's really, so So we could start with clarifying, you know, what are your top two or three values? You don't need top 10, just two or three values at most. 
Line yourself up with those. And when you live in accordance with those values, then you feel like, or I feel like I'm, I'm truly alive and thriving. So this kind of goes back to the tool question, but when you're working with a client, do you have uh, an activity to help them clarify their values? Because mm -hmm. I know of a couple of different ones that are out there and available. I don't have my go-to, like this is what I do all the time with all my clients. Do you have something? Yeah, generally speaking, I I like to give them a list of say you know twenty values and say this is not an you know an inclusive list of everything, mm -hmm. but it's a starting point, and I want you to kind of pick five out of there, or five you know between five and eight, yeah. and then from there one by one I want you to go by process of elimination. If you have to get rid of one, what would it be until you're left with just two or three, right? And 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 line up with those, uh, because again trying to line up with ten values can be really difficult because there's many values that fall under let's say integrity, we could right. say honesty and loyalty, uh, you know, and so many other things, compassion, there's a lot that falls under that. But the, the, we call those two core values. So those two are the first two that everything else branches off of. So we just want to get clear on those two. And so if you don't know what they are, it's like, start with a bigger list, you could just Google <laughs> yeah. values list, and you'll find, you know, printable lists of, I don't know, 50 values. And right. you just start circling things that are important to you. And then you the next column over you go, okay, I've got to start eliminating these one by one, until I narrow it down until you identify yeah. what your core values are. Yeah, that's so good. It, it's interesting, you know, that the idea, if you don't have your values clear, you can you can be like a ship that doesn't have a rudder in the water yeah. because you can't steer without having some kind of parameters and values yeah. core values are such a, a crucial factor in that and i i love that you narrow it down to just two or three rather than you know 10. i i have a tool that that was recommended to me that i've used with some clients and and it does start with five pages of terms and you cut them apart and you sort them and you you know okay. remove the ones that are non-essential and it, it's quite an involved process so you're really invested in it but i love yours is you know much more here's a short list it's not everything in the world that you could put in here but find the core ones that's that's brilliant i love I that and really that helps to, to clarify how to thrive right yeah. and you're living by your values you were going to say something. I'm sorry. No, just exactly that. The more, like, we're drawn to complexity because at times I think mm. there's this tendency to believe that a complex solution will lead us um, to mm. the answer sooner. And yeah. it's unlikely to be the case. And it's also really difficult to sustain. Yeah. Back to those CMGs, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. It It's interesting how there are themes that come up in different conversations that I am blessed to have with different individuals. And earlier this month, I spoke with another coach who said, pay attention to your intention. You know, once we set intentions, yeah. you know, we hear about that. And, and that's been this key for me this month. It's like, yeah, pay attention to that intention, Lisa. And now I'm going to add into my toolkit, uh, you know, these CMGs and, and make those uh, available rather than making everything this lofty aspiration that is overwhelming and so then you don't get started yeah. because yeah. it's too big so that's well, great you think what somebody you know sometimes for my clients I'll, I'll, I'll be like 
just get dressed in your activity clothes. And once you're dressed in your activity clothes, you now are at the point of decision. You can decide to take them off again or you can decide to work out. Because the biggest hurdle is getting started. To go from stationary to moving, that's where we have to overcome the most inertia. So make it so small that you just can't help, you know, or maybe it's going for that five minute walk. So you walk for two and a half, set a timer on your phone for two and a half minutes. You walk for that two and a half minutes. When the timer goes off, you decide, do I want to keep going or do I want to turn around? And yeah. either choice that you make, be at peace with that choice. Yes, that's the internal. Be at peace with that choice. You get to make it. Nobody's forcing you. Mm-hmm. So you made that decision and that's great. And the beauty is you can make another another decision and you might decide that you want to keep those activity clothes on and do some extra workout. That's yeah. your choice too. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's amazing how powerful giving people the freedom to choose really is and reminding them that in the littlest thing like brushing your teeth, that's your choice. You know, mm-hmm. you can, you can be regular about that or you can skip it's your choice. Oh, There's so good. like the coaching process in, in, at least in my world, really involves empowering individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand like people hire me for my expertise in and around nutrition and psychology primarily, but I treat the other person that I'm working with like an expert too. It's because it's not that if it was like, I'm a guru and you're a dummy, you have to follow my rules. That's very mm. disempowering. Yeah. And the moment I'm not in your life, you now fall apart because I was the source of structure. Mm. And so it's really, really important that, you know, a good coach uh, empowers you and, and you have an active hand in the process. And in my world, I say we help reverse engineer your healthy lifestyle. We'll start with the principle, but you're going to take that principle and you're going to shape it to fit your life. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That goes along with that Chinese proverb about you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. It's just similar to that, right? You are yeah. starting with equipping them to be able to live out the structure that you develop together. That's brilliant. I love it. Well, John, I am so glad that you had time today to hop on and have this conversation. And in the show notes for you listening, you will be able to have all the access points that John is sharing with us. And he also has an ebook that you can connect with. So that will be there. I love the title of it. Crush your cravings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I want to talk about chocolate yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and other forms of cat. Caffeine. I'm noticing yeah, there's a yeah. pattern in my life. So, well, yeah. again, thanks, John, for being here. And and I know that there have been um, nuggets of wisdom that listeners can come back to the show notes and find out how to connect with you further. And I'm really grateful for this time. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you as well for for hosting this space. I think it's really important the work that you do. And so it wouldn't wouldn't be here without you as well. So thank you. You bet. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let Go Lean In Podcast. I so appreciate you being a listener. I know that hearing other people's voices and learning about leadership in this way can be very encouraging. And I would greatly appreciate two things. First of all, if you've benefited from this episode, share it with a friend. 
let them know about Let Go Lean In podcast. The second thing that would be amazingly helpful to let other people know is to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review of this podcast. It could be in general or a specific episode, whichever you prefer. But what happens with the algorithms is that the awareness goes up and other people start to discover this material. So those two things, that you would share it with a friend and that you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Again, I so appreciate your listenership. Looking forward to sharing so many great pieces of information and wonderful interviews with you. Thanks again. Thank you.